Ah, greetings, friends. I see you've returned for another tale. Well, stay and listen, then. Welcome to another tale of Guilt and Desertion, a D&D roleplay podcast. I'm your host and Game Master, David. Tom is back this week, who you'll probably remember from last episode, and unfortunately, Sarah and Caleb were unavailable to record. So we've brought in a new face, our friend Sebastian, to keep us company. But first, Tom, would you like to recap what happened with your character, Koo, in the last episode? So, last time on Another Time Tale, <laughs> last time, um, I, um, sorry, I'm eating a sandwich. So, um, last time I woke up, it was the festival thingy, and I went to my freaking, you know, my pop, I went to my pop, and he's like, oh, come on, son, let's go to the festival now. And I was like, great, I'm gonna bring my mall and my mask in case I find fucking crime down there. But then they took the mall and the mask. So then I was like, fuck. So then I went down there with a bunch of servants, and they're like, eh, yeah, do you want to like look around? And I was like, fine. So then I went looking around. I found a little animal thing, like a little, like, it, I guess it was like the size of a chihuahua, but it looked, what did it look like? It was like a- It was a fuihund. It's like half ferret, half dog. fuck is a fuihund? Half ferret, half dog. Oh, okay. Um, we found the fuihund. What did I do with it? Did I give it to somebody? You returned it to the lady. Oh, right. Was she attractive? Did she pay me in sex? Yeah, but you used the the animal in the act. Oh God, she had a husband. Oh, she did. Was was he attractive? Was he into it? David, am I ruining your campaign by being like this? <laughs> no, you you are actively improving it. Good. Can we be swingers? <laughs> That's what this is now—a high fantasy remake of swingers. <laughs> uh, okay, um, and then. I walked around a bit and there was like a person being terrorized or like people being terrorized and she had a mysterious talisman, right? Am I right? Uh, I I don't know about the talisman part. But she gave me a brooch, didn't she? Oh, that was your payment for finding the Fuihund. Oh, she gave me a brooch. But then I saw some other fucks, uh, folks getting terrorized by a bunch of people and I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on over here? And... They said some really cryptic things, and I don't. Re- I think that's where we ended it. But then I was called to the stage because everyone wants to look at me because I'm a fucking freak. Now, Sebastian, would you like to just state your name and you know give a little synopsis of who your character is and what he does? Um. All right. Hi, my name's Durzog. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh. So Durzog is an ogre shaman. He is lived a hermetic lifestyle all by his lonesome um spent many years uh kind of meditation seeking enlightenment to kind of to quell the the dark bloodthirsty thoughts that uh that come because he's an ogre um so uh he has moments of extreme like violent uh urges um but ultimately he's he's typically he's peaceful um, 
tries to be uh, in general. Uh, very large of stature, 10 feet, like almost 11 feet tall and 1,000 pounds. He's a big dude. And you're very aged as well, around 80 years old, Whoa! which is fairly, which is a fairly long time to live for an ogre. Yeah, so I am no, like an 80 year old man. <laughs> so you're you're basically dead weight, is what you're saying. But but I'm a shaman, so I I'm a spellcaster. I can I can use uh, I have a mace that I can use for melee, uh, and I'm big. But um, I also cast spells, with, and I keep on my person a bunch of these little like water skins that have various um i use a spell casting that that uses like body parts and bodily fluids as its uh components truly disgusting so i have yeah so i've got blood and pus and stomach acid and urine and brain matter and various uh pouches and stuff or upon my my person and they help me cast my magic and could you talk a little bit about your reflection oh yes yeah yeah, my uh, I have like a I'm a little I might need some help remembering some of the details. Well, many years ago, you were living in the city-state of Yordchal, deep in the desert, uh, working as a salt merchant with a wife and child, but you didn't see them often as you were always traveling for your work. And one day, around 20 or so years ago, you came home to an empty house and you were told that your family had been found murdered, their bodies washed up on the western shore of the city. And due to this, you abandoned your life there and headed off deep into the desert. It was there that you learned how to cast magic using animal parts. Of the things I hunted? Exactly. Yeah, okay. But beyond unlocking some of the secrets of magic, you also gained a mysterious power. Years into your exile, when you were meditating under the dried husk of a tree, you experienced a vision. This vision resembled a humanoid figure hanging from a tree, its arms entwined with the branches. The figure and the tree were both made of the same greenish bark, which grew and enfolded the figure, such that from the ribcage down, the figure and the tree trunk fused into one. The figure had no face save for a mess of tube-like roots that sprouted from the area where a mouth should be, and which embedded themselves in several points on the body, especially within the figure's ribcage, which hung partially open like a blooming flower. Morbidly beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And after being confronted with this disturbing sight for a long time, you came to the realization that this was a reflection of your own spirit, your essence. And after more meditation, you discovered that you could summon it at will, allowing it to use its spectral root system to strike your opponents or ensnare them. So you, Durzog, came to Estron for the Festival of Innovation, as part of your employer Yardonsath's entourage. Yardonsath is a desert orc and is the current high priest of your home country of Yordshal. And basically, the people of Yordshal enshrined their first leader's body when he died, and the priests that attend the body use necromancy and divination to allow the body to finalize decisions for the country from beyond the grave. Yardonsath caught wind of your magical abilities and knowledge of spiritual matters, 
And so for the last year and change, he has employed you as a personal advisor along with several other orcs. And it is with these advisors that you traveled to the very northmost tip of the continent for the Festival of Innovation. Last night, you went out with some of the orcs to Old Blind Jack's, a tavern on the waterfront where you were involved in a cage match with Frakey and Koo. Beat the shit out of him. But not before he got mad and kneeled you hard enough to bruise your ribs. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but you did eventually win the fight, Koo. I did. After the fight, you all met Phineas Greybeard in the VIP lounge where he and his business partner, Corbin Ross, gave you a preview of Phineas's presentation for the festival. And after eating your fill of the complimentary meat and drink, you lumbered back to the dormitory tower the college had assigned to you. And the little elf girl, Frakie, who had been the only person so far to see your spiritual reflection, tried to follow you into the dorm as well, curious about what she was seeing. Yeah, I remember that. She did a poor job of concealing her presence, though. <laughs> so after sleeping through the remainder of the night, you are awakened in the morning by a soft knocking at your door. Um, where, where am I sleeping? Uh, like, am I in an inn? You're in a tiny bed in a two-small room in one of the college's dormitory towers. I will uh, go answer the door. So you get up. Uh, maybe, maybe not all the way up. I don't want to hit my head. <laughs> You stoop as you stand, and and you make your way over to answer the door that's about half of your height. <laughs> How'd I get in? I mean, probably it wasn't graceful. <laughs> yeah. uh, you open the door to see Lorinia, one of Yardonsath's two priestesses and personal attendants. She's very small, scarcely three feet tall, and she has the soft traits and light hair typical of an urban gnome. But she has the eyeshadow and gold adornments of a Yordshaw woman. She bows slightly and cranes her neck up to see you, saying, Good morning, Selector Zog. Master Yardonsath has requested to speak with you before we depart this morning. Excellent. Where where shall I meet him? He is awaiting you in the common room. All right. I, I will be down in a few minutes. Very good. Lengdurio. And she bows again and scurries off down the hall. I'll spend a few minutes to... Do I have to prepare spells uh, as a shaman? No, you just need the components on you. Then I'll just, uh, I'll grab my stuff and, uh, head downstairs. Yeah, gotta, gotta strap on the poop pouch. Can't forget that. <laughs> I might need them. You get your belongings in order and strap on your various belts and pouches and the pouch of dried poop. <laughs> and then you crouch down and kind of crawl out the door to your room. <sighs> I'm trying really hard not to damage the, the walls. <laughs> yeah, don't just crack them apart with your girth. Thankfully, the stairways and hallways are high and vaulted, so you can stand to your full height. Oh, God, I must be exhausted from uh, a night sleeping, uh, a night sleep on a really tiny bed. Oh, yeah. After a night of drinking and fighting people? (laughs) After drinking and fighting people as an (laughs) 80-year-old. So you're headed down to the common room? Yeah, down I go. You climb down the staircase. The steps are a little narrow for you, but you manage. You pass some of the other orcish advisors, Moore, Zarek, Getif is just getting up, bleary-eyed. And then in the hallway, you encounter Tira, the other priestess and attendant. She, like you, has orangish-brown skin, though it's a lighter tint than yours, probably from staying inside a lot. Like Lorinia, she wears dark eye makeup and is adorned in gold. 
Each of her tusks is capped with a gold cover, and her dark hair is tied in a long braid which falls over her shoulders as she bows to you. I'll return one. Okay. You loom over her. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Once you reach the bottom floor... Uh, uh, sorry, are ogres common? They're common for orc society. Orcs and ogres are sister races, like halflings and gnomes, or wood elves and high elves. Yeah, so, like, for... In this area, I'm not too out of the ordinary. Well, a little bit for this area. Estron is mostly human up in the north of the continent where you are right now, but there are orcs mixed in with them, so... Even if people haven't seen an ogre, they've definitely heard of them. When you reach the bottom of the tower, you find your Donseth sitting on one of the lounge chairs, finishing what seems to be a heated discussion with Olum. Like the priestesses, Olum is always attending to Yardonseth. However, in the year and a half you've worked for Yardonseth, you have never seen Olum without his signature white mask on, let alone ever seen a patch of his uncovered skin. You assume that he's either an orc or a human that knows orcish because of his voice. But right now he's silent as Yardonsath seems to have just finished chewing him out. When you enter the room, Yardonsath sees you and says to Olm, I want it done. End of story. Olm straightens up and in orcish says, Yes, sir. Before he turns and makes his way past you up the staircase. Yardonsath watches him leave before turning his attention to you, saying, Good morning, Derzog. Have a seat. I want to ask you something. Uh, good morning. I'll, I'll go have a seat. Okay. Where are you going to sit? Good question. Uh, <laughs> um, how big are, does it look like I... Uh, uh, I wouldn't risk it. There's a lounge seat that could probably support... <laughs> I'm going to say uh, Durzog's been pretty big for a very long time. So I think he'll be comfortable uh, by, by now uh, just sitting on the floor. <laughs> Okay, instead of shattering one of the pieces of furniture to dust, you decide to sit near him on the stone floor. <laughs> he asks you, How was your time out on the town last night? Uh, eventful for an old one such as me. I heard as much from Getif this morning. Also, that you were involved in a fight? <laughs> uh, yes, it's uh, embarrassing to say, at my age. I was under the impression you were working to stifle those tendencies. And, uh, the, uh, the ogre blood, you see. Yardonsath looks disappointed for a moment. I... I suppose there isn't much one can do about that. He stands and walks to the window. Peering out, he says, I wanted to ask you, also, what your impression was of the city, it being your first time here. Uh, it's crowded, many people. I prefer the, uh... The, the lonely b desert, to be honest. A lot of noise. It can prove overwhelming at times. When I was a student here, I longed for home. I hope you were well received by the people here. I sometimes sense the wounds they incurred from our northern brethren have yet to heal. Well, uh, as time passes, old prejudices will fade. That is the hope. And our purpose for being here. He turns to you again. If you'll wait a few moments, the others should be down shortly and we can depart. And true to his words, after a few minutes, the common room is filled with your entire retinue, save for Olm. Once they are assembled, Yardonsath leads you out of the tower and towards the festival proper. 
As you walk, Durzog, you begin to sense that someone is walking right behind you. And when you turn, you find that dirty half-elf girl, Frakey, who was trailing you last night. Oh, you again. <laughs> she starts to pester you with questions, but you ignore her. <laughs> yeah, I don't... No time for some random street urchin. <laughs> yeah, she gives up pestering you after a few moments. Your group walks until they reach one of the main thoroughfares, crossing over one of the many white stone bridges that connect the campus. Yardonsath turns to you all and says, Tira, Lorinia, and I must head to the central tower right away, but the rest of you are free to explore for the next few hours. I expect you to join us at the tower by noon, however. Uh, very well. I will be there. The rest of the group agree as well, and Yardonsath and his two priestesses begin walking to the tower as the rest of the group scatters off into the festival. Getif turns to you and says, Are you in the mood to go browse some vendors? Uh, sh sure. I'll <laughs> like, shrug and, and uh, and go. I, f I figure because I was kind of a hermit, I'm kind of taking adv uh, advantage of the, uh, the rare city site. Yeah, I mean, Yordshala is big, but this is... A proper city. Uh, and there's a way more diverse group of people here. You know, not just orcs, but lots of humans, elves, dwarves, and little folk. And as you carefully weave your way through the crowd, could you make me a dex saving throw? Oh, I'm not good at those. <laughs> uh, I got a three. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's a good start. So... As you work your way through the crowd, a human man stumbles out from it, falls forward, and vomits on your front. Now, is this like a like he fell fell into me, almost like you were giving me a hug? So he's like puking into my lap, essentially. Yeah, like he tried to catch himself, and instead he just coats your lap. Okay. Disgusting. All right. Um, do I have an empty flask? Or vile. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> could I? Uh, maybe, maybe make some use. Uh, get something out of this situation. Could I? Can I? Uh, take you know, get enough from my lap and it and uh, and and pocket though. Yeah, the if you want to collect some bile, <laughs> it's fresh even. Oh. <laughs> what did What did he eat? It's mostly alcohol. Ooh, it's got that. It's that like yellowy, mostly stomach bile. Oh, that's the good stuff. Oh, yeah, give me. Fucking disgusting. <laughs> Horrible. So, once he finishes emptying himself, you quickly pull out your leather flask for stomach acid, and... And he's loving it. And, like, with my bare hand, kind of, like, scoop it into the flask. Ah! Yeah, just scoop it in. Oh, uh, no harm done. I'll pat the guy's head. <laughs> the guy pulls himself back to his feet and says, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, I should thank you. <laughs> no, 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 sir, no. And he reaches into his belt pouch, and he pulls out a fistful of some gold coins and tries to tries to get it into your uh, hand, but he can't <laughs> quite okay. get it I'll, there. Uh, are we, we're staying, we must be near the, uh, like the bar he just stumbled out of. Well, there are some stalls a few feet away. Oh, oh yeah, the stall, yeah. Right. Well, I'll take the, with one hand, I'll take the, the gold and uh, maybe move him to, to like, uh, to, to a stall where he can support himself and not fall over. 
Okay, so you cup the coins in one hand and you gently move him out of the path of the crowd to the side of a stall. And once he can support himself, he says, Oh, thank you. And then he looks up at you, saying, Well, you're a real big fella, huh? Man, it's a weird one today. I don't know what's going on. And he retches a little bit. What time? It's it's early morning, isn't it? Yeah, it's about... (laughs) 9 o'clock, 9.30 in the morning. Um, Alcoholism is a disease. <laughs> it's not a joke. <laughs> There's nothing funny about it. There's nothing funny about this. <laughs> I'm scowling over here. <laughs> I'm not laughing. The man is still looking at you, and he says, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a mess right now. Everything's so topsy-turvy. I, my men... My my men, they don't feel nothing no more. Like they're like they're some sort of sort of robot or something. Like like like. And he taps your arm to get your attention, even though you know you're already watching him. My friend Gerald, he came back from vacation and he he was he was like nothing he he was ever before. You know. I uh I I don't know that I know what you mean. No 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 you know you know like. He, he doesn't think for himself, you know. Like he, he, he just does what he's told. Only what he's told, you know. A robot. Uh, sh- surely you exaggerate, friend. No, 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 no. They, they don't got, they don't got no soul, no more, you know. And Sebastian, if you could make me an insight check. All right. And, uh, 16. So, obviously, he's drunk way too early in the morning. <laughs> you notice his clothing is the same kind of tunic that the Astronian guards wear yeah. under their armor. He's off duty, he's drinking. This guy's a cliche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a living cliche. Uh, but you gather that the guys he's talking about must be the other guardsmen in his unit. And he seems to you to be bordering on an anti-authoritarian rant? Like a sheeple rant? (laughs) Wake up, sheeple. (laughs) (laughs) Along those lines. So So do you want to entertain him or try to extricate yourself from this? I think I'm probably going to try to back out of this conversation. uh, As (laughs) I I think this would be a weird... um, a weird conversation for for a hermetic ogre to hold. So you start to back away. Yeah, I'm just gonna cut, you know, drink some water, buddy. Fight the power. And as he continues to babble, you take advantage of his distraction to slip away before he knows where you've gone. Not easy to do when you weigh a thousand pounds. Well, easy to do if the person is stone cold drunk at nine in the morning. Nine a.m. drunk. See, see, this is why you don't live in the city. The the vices, the temptations aren't aren't there in the oasis of the desert. Yeah, you can't get very drunk on like cactus water and sand. No, you get you get drunk off meditation. Well, in Avatar: The Last Airbender, you can. <laughs> oh, you're right. I take it back. It's the quenchiest. It's the quenchiest. Uh, so I'm also I'm probably trying like I'm kind of. <laughs> always uh, just aware that uh, I need to be very careful about my emotions in such a crowded public place. And uh, and I'm not an ogre who... I'm not a city ogre. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of jostling. Do I have a walking stick? Like a staff? 
your mace is a walking stick, actually. On a normal-sized person, it would be like a mall size, but for you, it's like a wooden cane with a hard lump on the end. So it's like a it's a staff just with a, a hammerhead at the end. Yeah, or a shillelagh. <laughs> Sweet. Okay, cool. So you reach one of the merchant sections of the festival where you notice a few different stands selling potions. Potions are interesting to me. Do they have a, a purple one? I like purple. They might. Do you want to just pick one and scope out what they have? Yeah, just I'll uh, see if anything jumps out at me. So you walk up to one of the stalls. The sign on their front reads, Vimtini Brothers. And you lean down under the awning to look at their wares. I must smell, I must smell really good. <laughs> oh, as you move, people maintain like a good five-foot barrier around you, especially with the uh, stomach residue on your front. Yeah, the, the, I just kind of a little bit wiped off of my shirt. The potion salesman peers up at you and says, Hello, big fellow. Uh, why don't you step down here and I'll show you what I got. Uh, greetings, little one. Uh, what, uh, what do you have to show me? Oh, we have many different types of potions to try. You look like a man with a big thirst. Oh, you're uh, to try? You have samples? Oh, yes. Feel free to take a sample from the trays in front of the display. And you can see each grouping of similarly colored vials has some small glasses on a tray in front of them. This would probably be a good time for me to count how much uh, gold that guy shoved into my hand. It's a fair fistful. About 73 of the small Estranian gold pieces, about the size of a penny each. You're pretty sure he wasn't paying attention to how much he was giving <laughs> Yep. I feel like I probably... Like, I have, I have gold, that, like, a, a savings, because I, I imagine I just don't shop very much. Um, so also, I, there's probably, like, I have a skewed idea of uh, how much uh, any amount is. Yeah. Although I used to be a merchant, though. Yes, but that was almost always trading goods for other goods. You sometimes would trade for gold, but because there's a ton of gold in Yordshaw, it was usually ingots, not minted currency. Gotcha. So in front of you on the counter, there are four types of potion. One on the left is a silvery metallic liquid marked as potion of resistance. Another one that's sort of a dark brown root beer color marked potion of bark vision. A lavender one marked potion of annoyance. And a yellowish liquid with some fibers in it marked potion of climbing. Okay. Could you repeat the, the second, the root beer colored one? What was that? Potion of Bark Vision. Like, B as in boy, A-R-K. Bar I did hear you right. You said Bark Vision. <laughs> I wasn't sure at first. Okay. <laughs> and uh, these are these are his his samples he's offering? Yeah. Well, I have, uh, I've got my gluttonous hunger. I'm, I'm definitely taking any free samples. <laughs> so do you just take one of each, or? Uh, I'm making a cocktail. Oh, okay. <laughs> and while while I'm I'm putting them into one of my flasks, uh, and uh, and while I'm doing so, I'm like, so what do these do? And it, not that it matters. The liquids mix and froth into a, a brownish dark mess as you combine them in your flask. The merchant is watching you, and he says, "Well, uh, the uh, the potion of resistance grants you a." Uh, I'm starting to drink it. We're resistance to lots. Of, I don't know if you should do that. Um, Down the hatch. Well, uh, and he sort of tugs at his shirt collar. I'm. I am a. 
I'm a I'm a big boy. I need more potion for me to feel anything. I'm a big boy. <laughs> so you gulp down the liquid, which is about a shot's worth of fluid to you. Yeah, exactly. And it fizzes and pops violently down your throat. And after a few moments, your skin starts to tingle and That's you feel you, know good. you feel more vibrant, like awake and energized, and at the same time your vision blurs and twists. And suddenly, whereas before you were looking down at the merchant, you are now staring up at him from around the height of his countertop. Whoa. You also feel something resting on your head as if a hand were holding you by the top of your skull. Is there there a hand holding me by the head? Do you look around? Yeah. Well, when you look upwards, you can see your own hand. And as you turn and follow the arm up, you can see that your body is standing there holding you with your eyes glazed over. And then looking down, you realize that you are seeing yourself from the perspective of your walking stick. Fucking bananas. I'm tripping. <laughs> I'm tripping is what you're telling me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining if, if this, if this were to happen, I would then, I would have, I would take, I would take this shot and then, as my my vision like drops and I'm figuring out what's happening, I'd be so disoriented I would just freeze. I wouldn't move at all. So to this guy, I just take the shot and like, ah, and then I stop moving. <laughs> yeah, you can see when things brush past your body. You still feel them, but you can see them from a different angle. That would be so difficult to handle. I'd barf. Oh yeah, but it's not over. Because suddenly your vision blurs again, and you are viewing some other area of the festival with your body and Ingetif and the merchant nowhere in sight. I think I'm gonna need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a few minutes you're just observing the passerby. You, you see that mangy elf girl scamper past again, and then your vision blurs for the last time, and you are back to seeing out of your own eyeballs once again. You're pretty sure the effects have worn off by now. Were you able to move? at all? Like, the move the stick or move your own body? You could. It would be difficult. I wouldn't want to. <laughs> so I take the shot and then I don't move for about six... I don't move or speak for about six minutes. <laughs> and then and then after like five or six minutes, I just put, put my flask away and say, no, thank you. <laughs> and walk away. Uh, you don't want any, uh, bark vision potion? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> what does, I need an explanation as to what Bark Vision does. <laughs> well, you are familiar with how when you, when you drink Dark Vision Potion, it lets you see in the dark. Sure. Well, when you drink a Bark Vision Potion, it lets you see in the bark. I fucking hate that. <laughs> so since you were holding your staff, that's what you started seeing through. I see. What of the Annoyance Potion? With a potion of annoyance, it transfers either your sight or your hearing to another location nearby for for a while. Why, uh, why would I drink that? Well, uh, look, friend, it, it's not my job to tell you how to use my product. It's just, I like that. I'm just telling you what it does. <laughs> <laughs> he leans close and says, well, Actually, my brother and I, you know, we, we don't have much. So when a batch of potion goes wrong, well... If it does anything at all, we still try to sell it. It's a good gag gift. Haven't you ever wanted to know, say, where vermin might be living in your walls? If your walls are made of wood, you could use this. 
I, I think I can't imagine uh, a place where there's so much wood that you can't see through it. That's crazy. Well, we have a great many around here. So, may I interest you in a bottle? Have I ever have I ever been to the woods, or am I strictly desert dwelling? The only woods or forest you've ever seen, Durzog, have been in passing on your way up here with the Yordshall caravan. Yeah, I don't like. Uh, yeah, no, thank you. Are you sure I can't? Uh, no, I'll uh, I'll stick to my own stuff. Well, ah, uh, but thank you, thank you for the sample. It was a, an experience. Enjoy the festival. I'm gonna I'm gonna carefully walk away. Are there any more free samples and stuff? Um, just a few stalls down from here, there's a vendor with a sample tray out. Not for long. (laughs) (laughs) You approach it, and the sign says, Madame Canterbury's hand-whipped clusterberry foam. Clusterberry foam? Behind the counter, you can see a human woman taking handfuls of some dark purple berries, like like big-lobed strawberry-sized blackberries and crushing them into a large metal pitcher before furiously whipping the liquid inside with a branch. She then pours the liquid out into cups as a sparkly, pinkish-purple foam. All right, I'll, uh, I'll go take a sample. As much as I can get away with taking. You take four and drink them all at once. And it's very sour. It's a little bitter, a little sweet, and the bubbles pop and scatter across your tongue. As you savor the drink, the food in the next stall also catches your eye. There's a man behind the counter taking pieces of what looks like gelvling meat. You had some last night at the tavern. It's kind of a quadrupedal bird. And he's battering the pieces and dunking them into this boiling pot of oil. And when he pulls them out, it looks literally like a gilded piece of fried chicken. As if he had rolled the meat in gold leaf. Yeah, definitely getting me some of that. How much do you want? No, I want a, f- I want a, uh, a few samples. <laughs> you greedy... This stall doesn't have any samples. Oh, bastard. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll order one. I'll pay for some food. The chef looks you up and down and then says, You sure you want just one? Uh, yeah, I'll take uh, whatever three orders would be. <laughs> Alrighty. That'll be nine silver. Alright, uh, you know what? Six orders. Alrighty then. He takes your now 18 silver, and after a few minutes, hands you back a large metal tray with what is essentially a full Gevling's corpse fried on a plate. Oh yeah, keep it going. As you tuck into your meal, Getif orders a more uh, reasonably sized portion. <laughs> As you're eating this hot, juicy bird meat, the man behind the counter starts mixing up some more batter, and you see him add a healthy mug of some amber liquid from a barrel marked alcohol, as in A-L-C-H hyphen O-H-O-L. And you can see that his hands and everywhere the liquid has spilled has a thin flaky layer of gold leaf on it. Interesting invention. Getif, once he finishes his food, glances up at the sun and then says to you, I think we should start heading towards the tower. Uh, let's... <clears throat> And you plow your way through the crowds. You pass a number of clothing stalls. One sign says, Mud Begone Boots on the front. Another one says, Gale Force Hats. One sign says on it, The Unbelievable Non-Wrinkling Robe. And hanging right below it is a much smaller sign in much smaller text, which reads, Warning, do not heat in excess. Do not wet in excess. (laughs) Excess cleaning may cause disastrous results. (laughs) 
As you reach the end of the row of merchants, uh, one sign near the end of the group says, Bags of Holding, on it. Ooh, uh, I'd like to go to the Bag of Holding store. You approach the Bags of Holding stall. There's an old gnome back there, surrounded by bags and satchels of various sizes and shapes. They look to be very nicely crafted and hand-stitched, and indeed the gnome is in the process of sewing a design onto one of the bags when you approach. He looks up at you through his eyeglass and says, Can I help you, sir? Uh, yes. Uh, as, as you can see, I carry on my person many different, uh, various bags. Ah, a fellow bag enthusiast! Always happy to meet someone who can appreciate a good, sturdy bag. Won't, won't leak, uh... No odors. Uh, oh, I have waterproofed ones, flameproofed ones, ones with locks and keys on them, thick ones for things like nails, ones for soft things too. What is your what's what's your nicest uh, bag of holding? Ah, let me see. And he ducks down, rummaging through his inventory until he pulls up a very handsome gold-threaded bag. He puts it on the counter and says, This one fetches for about 100 gold. Uh, why is this one so expensive? Well, as you can see, being a bag enthusiast, I put a lot of work into this one. Notice the threading? Uh, the the leather, especially treated buff grease hide, and the strap. Oh, triple weave for extra durability. Yes, it it certainly is beautiful, but, uh... (laughs) Thank you. uh, As you can see, it might not uh, go so well with my my current uh, style. He looks you over. He notices the vomit. The fresh vomit. (laughs) (laughs) And he quickly stows the bag below the counter, saying, Uh, yes, well, perhaps a a sturdy worksman's bag is more what you're looking for. He begins rummaging again, and then he pulls up a few more bags of of a similar size onto the counter. Excellent. And uh, how much for this one? Oh, these are roughly 15 gold each. Each? How many of them? Uh, I have about eight or so in this size, but my nephew will be by to bring more in a little bit. Oh, wait, are these are these just regular bags? He gives you a puzzled look and says, Yes, they're, they're bags. What did you <laughs> expect? I thought they were bags of holding. Oh, you, you mean like like the magical item, the bag of holding? Yeah, exactly. That's why I was... Uh, no, going no, 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 no. Not worth going to jail trying to sell one of those. Don't even know where you would find one to sell, anyway. What? Why, why is that? Uh, I thought you looked like a foreigner. Well, the college strongly discourages civilians from owning magical items. They're, they're fine with little things, you know, little quality of life things, but they come down hard on folks trying to buy or sell the... The really powerful stuff. Well, that doesn't seem right to me. Ah, well, I'm not the type to go questioning things like that. Ah, very well. Ah, well, I'm sorry to waste your time, then. Oh, you don't want to buy a bag? No, uh, afraid not. Sorry, bye. (laughs) You just leave. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He goes, oh, oh. And sadly goes back to his stitching. His, his like, one customer. His one customer who shows up covered in bags and you don't buy a single one. And I didn't buy one bag. Maybe if he had a free sample. Like a marble bag? (laughs) Durzog leaves the poor bag gnome alone and marches towards the tower as the bells chime in the 11th hour. As you approach the tower, you see the other orc advisors, Mor, Zurich, and Daga, clustered together. They greet you and start telling you that Yardonsath is waiting inside, 
when someone comes crashing into you from behind, spilling paper scrolls everywhere. I thought you were going to say spills his guts. <laughs> Vomits on me again. Well, that's the theme for you today, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's not like I snuck up on him. I'm 11 feet tall. <laughs> well, somehow he managed to bump into you. Well, watch where you're going. When you turn around, you see the man picking himself up off the ground is Phineas Greybeard, that wizard you met in the tavern last night. He looks a little more put together this morning. His blue robe is in a stained, and, and his short red beard has been trimmed a little. Ah, uh, Greybeard. Oh, it's you. Or as big as you are, I don't know how I didn't see you there. Neither do I. <laughs> good, uh, good afternoon. <laughs> Dean, good morning to you, too. On to see the opening ceremony? Uh, indeed. Well, glad to see you there. As he starts to brush himself off and gather his things up off the ground, you notice... From behind him, a group of servants is parting the crowd for a tall, red-robed man with glowing orange hair. It's, 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 uh, it's Koo. He's here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. All right. I was wondering what you were going to do, and you didn't disappoint me. Yeah. So, Durzog and Phineas are now standing directly in the path of Koo and his servants. I instantly recognize him, right? From the night before? Oh, yes. Uh, Phineas sees Ku approach and, recognizing you, says, Ah, Master Kanaloa. Feeling well? Well, I'm feeling great. I know who this man is, right? Yeah, you remember You remember he suspected you were Ku Kanaloa because you were carrying that maul around, and he wound up unmasking you. In front of everybody? Unmasked. Well, just in front of the people who were in the VIP lounge at the time. I don't remember that. So so the big stupid ogre is going to know who I am? Yeah. And, you, and you'll never know who was behind my mask. Bullcrap. All right. Well, I'm just going to pretend like I didn't notice the big guy. But Phineas, uh, I'm just going to be like, I feel fine. And then, uh, well, we're all headed towards like the main center, right? Like the stagey part? Inside the main tower. Going inside of the tower. Can I can I conceivably walk around them in a very douchey, like, rich boy way? Like, clear the way. You can if you want to. I mean, I have to keep up appearances, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna chop I'm gonna do a couple claps, which Wow is a signal for my servants to kinda do what they're supposed to do. Do they know what I want? The servants begin to guide you around the mess Phineas has made, and as you pass by him, Phineas mumbles to you. You uh Misplace your mall? <coughs> Excuse me, Phineas? I don't know what you're talking about. And I and I'm gonna look at him in the in the face. Does as another signal like, hey, shut up. <laughs> because my servants, they're around. They don't they don't know. Phineas just smiles a little and says, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the presentations. Yes, Phineas, I look forward to you seeing me there at the presentation. <laughs> Well, <laughs> glad to finally meet the esteemed son of Lono Kanaloa. Uh, uh, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Won't you please accompany me to the Grand Hall? Uh, I mean, yeah, what, excuse me, yeah, what the heck not, yeah, wh- whatever. Okay, alright, f- f- tag along, Phineas. Wait, are you bring? are you bringing, I'm gonna gesture to the big ogre, are you bringing, hmm, is he coming to, or... Phineas turns to you, Durzog, and says, I don't know. Am I bringing along? Hmm? Uh, indeed. Seems we're all headed to the same place. Hmm. Interesting. 
Okay. <laughs> so Ku leads the way through the tower doors. He doesn't get stopped by anyone. They know him by sight. But both Phineas and Durzog have to show their insignias to the guardsmen before they're allowed in. And I can just walk in. Like you own the place. Don't wait up! <laughs> Once you pass through the doors, you can see a set of stairs leading underground to your left and a set of stairs heading upstairs on the right. Standing in the hallway is your father, Ku, Lono Kanaloa, engaged in a conversation with three people. One of them is best described as a bird man, not played by Michael Keaton. <laughs> and standing slightly behind him are a dwarf and a young boy, and all three are garbed in the same yellow monk robes. Lono sees you and waves you over, Ku. Am I am I acquainted with this bird man and the and the dwarf and shit, or is this all really fucked up? You've never met these folks before. But I've seen the Birdman? No, I don't believe you have. Oh. Have I ever seen a Birdman? Like, is this really fucked up? I suppose. So it's pretty fucked up. Jesus, Dad, what is that? Lono looks mortified and runs quickly over to you, whispering, Koo, please don't disrespect our guests. What is it? Please don't refer <laughs> to Master it? Tuku as an it. <laughs> Tuku? It's so bird-like. I'm, I'm sorry, Father. I'm so, I'm, I'm so sorry, Father. I won't, I won't do that again. I know we must respect all our guests. Lono clears his throat and then brings you over to the Birdman, saying, Forgive me. This is my son, Koo. Koo, this is Master Tuku of the Seiliu Order. Oh, a pleasure to meet you, Tuku. <laughs> Tuku nods his head and steps towards you, offering you his hand. What kind of bird does he look like? His face is similar to that of a, a swallow or a marten. So not, not a bird of prey type bird? No. Oh, that's cute. He sounds adorable. <laughs> yeah. His hand is slightly scaled and with small talons, but the rest of him is covered in soft feathers. And he shakes your hand firmly, saying, Very nice to finally meet Lono's son after all these years. He isn't mad at me, is he? Give me an insight. Sure. I'll do I'll do an insight, find out if he's all pissed. Hang on, hold the phone. I'm a, let me get some DJ out. Insight. Uh that's a thirteen. Okay. As he shakes your hand, you try to read his emotions. I don't know, Tom, if you've ever tried to read a bird's face, but it's a pretty hard thing to do. So is he, like, totally expressionless no matter how he's feeling? Like, he he comes across as a sociopath? Well, obviously his mouth doesn't change much because of the beak, but his eyes seem fairly articulate. Does he have eyebrows? Kind of? This is really freaking me out. <laughs> I, okay, so Ku is having a really hard time, like, maintaining his cool. This is really fucked. I'm just gonna really be like, oh, yeah, pleasure to meet you. Tuku finishes shaking your hand and gesturing towards the dwarf and boy behind him. He says, ah, and these are my pupils, Terdmir and Verwig. Did you say Terdmir? That's what I heard. Terdmir. Oh. <laughs> they both bow to you, Ku. I'm, j I'm just gonna bow back. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna bow. I'm gonna bow. Fuck it. I'm gonna bow. <laughs> Lono says to you, they will be joining us in the balcony. Tuku and I have much to catch up on. And Tuku nods his head in a very quick and bird-like manner. Bird, very bird-like. So it's really scary. I'm literally, I'm literally just imagining Big Bird at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> in Shaolin monk robes. Yeah. 
Lono says to you, Ku. Ku, we should probably take our seats now and stop cluttering up the hallways. Oh, word, word. Okay, cool. Well, let's, uh, let's do it, Dad. So Ku, Lono, and the monks head up the stairway to the right and onto one of the first four balcony booths. From up there, you get a full view of the central hall. It's built somewhat like an amphitheater, with stone benches arranged in circles around a large central dais. The college's student body divides the room into five sections by robe color, blue, red, white, indigo, and purple. Across from you, you can see other guests of the college in balcony booths, mostly gnomes, dwarves, and elves, and higher up above you, you can see a great crystal mounted above the hall by several support beams. Durzog, you and the other orcs quickly locate Yardonsath and the priestesses. As the orcs begin filing up the stairs, Yardonsath stops you and says, I'm not quite sure how to put this, but, uh... The guards are hesitant to let you up into the balcony. What? They said it might compromise the structural integrity, but they've prepared a seat for you down here, if you'd like. Is it is it big enough to fit me? Yeah, they've widened one of the stone benches to fit you more comfortably. All right, as, as long as I'm comfortable. Yardonsath says, I don't enjoy isolating you like this. Oh, it's, it is no no problem. He nods and then heads up the stairway to the balcony. I kind of give him a, a small bow of my head. Looking out on the crowd, both of you notice that on and near the central dais, there are five men in far more ornate robes. The one in the red robe is Rickert Giroux, the headmaster Ku's father had been talking about. Ah! He's in a conversation with an elf in a white robe. Gil Shaliras, head of the College of Investigation, who is thoughtfully pulling at the tiny bit of beard he has managed to grow. On the other side of the dais are two more of the headmasters talking with a student. One is a darker-skinned, bald human in purple robes and armor, like that which the guardsmen wear. Ku, you know this is Headmaster Grimald Mitterrand. The other man, Goliath Sixus, is in an indigo robe, and he has long, dark hair and a long face and nose, kind of like a Professor Snapey-looking guy. Hello, Harry Potter. <laughs> Hello. And finally, making his way down to the dais is a very old man in blue robes. He's the headmaster of the College of Invention, Peronius Felk. He has a, he has a, his parents knew he was going to be a headmaster when they named him. <laughs> he has a very wizardy name. <laughs> He greets Phineas, who is sitting up near the front of the audience, and then gathers together the other headmasters on the stone dais as the clock tower chimes in 12 o'clock. They exchange words briefly, kind of in a huddle. <laughs> huddle up, guys. Good hustle. And then they each turn around to the audience. As they speak, there are voices echo out from the dais and far up into the high reaches of the tower. Peronius Felk starts, saying, Students, faculty and friends from afar, welcome to this most wondrous of occasions. Woo! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> then Sixus turns and says, Today shall mark the 25th festival of innovation since this great country's founding over 100 years ago. Gil Soliras turns out to the crowd, saying, The festival is a time of both merriment and labor. A time when we are granted the privilege to witness what the minds of our greatest students have wrought. 
and Giraud chimes in after, adding, A time when the greatest aspects of this country are to be highlighted and thrust upon the world stage. Mitterin finishes, saying, For nowhere else in this realm is there any such land that can boast of such talents in so broad a spectrum or such quantity. And in unison, the five of them call out, With these rights, we honor your presence and and welcome you to the Festival of Innovation. And as they finish their speech, each headmaster traces the symbol of their respective college in glowing magical lines through the air. As soon as they complete the symbols, they erupt into showering fireworks and send the crowd into thundering applause. Fancy. know how to put on a show. After the clapping has died down, Peronius says, Now, as is tradition, we will hear from the first batch of presenters. Approaching the stage now is one of my brightest students, Yewin Pildworth, who is here to present his work on... What was it again, son? Golemic construction. And with that, Peronius Felk steps off the dais, yielding the floor to a blue-robed, gnomish student. Now, Tom, you've done a TED Talk. Yeah. It's kind of like one of those, although much shorter. Okay. Who are the gnomes? God damn it. <laughs> no, the speaking segments are shorter. You watch five presenters get up. The first is the gnome with his tiny automatons. Then there's a human woman talking about using illusions to hypnotize people. A human man talking about long-range scrying. And an elf talking about summoning circles. One talks about advanced evocation. And if each of you could roll me an intelligence saving throw. A saving throw? Uh, okay. Just one second. I promise this won't be any longer in five. Okay. Oh, I got it. Uh, I got a 16. 14. Okay, so... Ku and Durzog are both watching these presentations, and the first one is pretty interesting. I mean, neither of you have ever really seen any type of golem in action before. They're not very common. But the next few presentations are just (laughs) god-awful. Just dry and boring. You both manage to stay awake, but you are clearly starting to nod off as time just stretches on. Like our head, our heads are like drooping. And, uh, uh. Finally, Peronius stands up and says, Now, I would like to introduce a former student of mine. He left our college some years ago, but he has returned in a show of good faith to present us with the finished version of his project. Phineas, the floor is yours. Peronius sits down again, and Phineas climbs up onto the dais carrying his scrolls and his chest. As he sets these down, some other students step forward and present him with a small wooden table for the chest and four stone basins, which they arrange around him. Phineas places the chest on the table, mutters something to himself, and then he turns out to the audience, saying, Thank Thank, thank you, everyone, for this opportunity to speak with you. I know the history between me and the college is spotty at best, but I'd I'd like for you to disregard that for now. Well, don't disregard that. Um, Magic can do so much. You didn't need me to tell you that, obviously, but... uh, It can do so much. 
He's right. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh, shit, dude. But, 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 but the reason I bring this up is, well, it can do so much for us. The, the college has accomplished amazing things through the use of magic. But what about people outside of the college? You know, what about those who don't learn magic? Imagine, if you will, what sorts of amazing things they could do if they could. Use magic, that is. And Ku, from where you are, you can see that some of the headmasters are looking a little uneasy. Jero especially has his arms folded, and he seems very agitated. Phineas then says, Now, I can see you right now saying to yourself, Phineas, this is insane, absurd, crazy. And in response, several of the students shout out these mock agreements or insults at him. Out of order! You, you can't teach everyone magic, and I agree. We wouldn't be able to, so we can't. And then, after seemingly losing his train of thought for a moment, he turns to his chest. Clearly, he's not used to speaking in front of people. Not a public speaker. He's really choking. This is pretty embarrassing. It's like a bad stand-up. <laughs> oh, God. Come on, Finn. So, he goes to his chest and, unlocking it, says... What I have in this chest should, if I've done it correctly, allow anyone of any background the ability to use magic. And this sends the room into just frenzied muttering. <laughs> 500 Scooby-Doo's all go <laughs> at the same time. Like zoinks! And one Shaggy. In a sea of Scooby-Doo's. Oh, God, that's kind of a nightmare. <laughs> scooby dooby doo Oh, my God! <laughs> They're coming! Too many! Ah! Anyway, Phineas opens the chest, and inside it are four crystalline orbs, roughly the size of a softball each. One is a dull, orangish-red color, one is a deep blue, one's a grayish-brown, and the last is a pale white. Holding one of the orbs aloft, Phineas calls out to the crowd, Would anyone like to volunteer for a demonstration? I... I should like to, I put up my hand. All right. A few other students raise their hands. Durzog, do you want to? Uh, I'll stay in the audience. <laughs> Phineas selects some of the students and then beckons to you, Ku, to come down. And as he does, Lono stands, casts a spell, and the section of the stone seating you're on lifts up and over the balcony. Oh my god! Is this normal? <laughs> yeah, that that's how they usually rearrange the hall. Does it crush like 20 people? How? Where does it land? <laughs> he sets it down in one of the walkways. He doesn't just smash some students with a rock. Oh, okay. So you hop out of your seat and walk up to the dais. And once you're assembled, Phineas asks the group, Now, which of you can already cast elemental magic? One of the three students raises her hand and says that she can cast air magic. I can cast elemental magic. Phineas looks to you and says, I'm assuming earth and fire, like lava. Well, if you know, if you assume it makes an ass out of you and me, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> fine. Phineas reaches into the chest and hands you the blue orb. He then hands the brown orb to the air magic student and hands the red and white ones to the other two students. 
Hold up, Phineas. I think you gave me the wrong the wrong stone. You said earth and fire. Yeah, usually that's associated with the color brown and like, you know. Right. So I gave you the blue orb. Oh, word. Oh, because... I said it. Oh, that's, oh, that's dope. All right. All right. Uh, go do your, do your thing, Phineas. So as everyone can see, I have given each person an orb attuned to an element they do not have experience casting. Now... And as he snaps his fingers, each of the students who brought in the stone basins waves their hands over each basin, calling forth the four basic elements. Phineas turns to you and says, Hold out the orb in your hands and focus your attention on the element in front of you. Try to imagine affecting it in some way. You know, twisting it around, bending it, scarring it emotionally. <laughs> something like that. Now, Ku, make me a raw intelligence roll. All right. Um, oh, daddy, uh, that's going to be a five. Wow. You all rolled a five or below. Oh, shit. So <laughs> this is not looking good for Phineas. Bunch of dummies. Everyone holds out their orbs and focuses their attention. The student with the earth orb keeps holding it out, shaking it, but nothing happens to the earth in front of her. The other two students' orbs glow faintly, but nothing really changes. Ku, what were you trying to do to the water in front of you? I was trying to make a dolphin shape, make a beautiful dolphin. You focus on the water and think for a moment you saw something start to take shape, but it quickly falls apart. Do you want to try again? Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll go. I'll go for it again. Cause right now Phineas is looking like a fucking quack. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta dig him out of this hole. I gotta dig. It's like I, I'll be like, oh, let, let, let me concentrate a little harder. Let me concentrate a little harder. And I'm gonna do, do, do it again. Uh, oh, that's all right. All right. Um, that's uh, that's a 15 instead. That's a lot better. The student with the earth orb still just can't get the darn thing working. Aww. The student with the air orb manages to shift the cyclone of air in front of her around a bit. The student with the fire orb fares far better. He, he manages to split the fire into two thin columns of flame. And are you still trying to form the dolphin? I'm, make, I'm going making that dolphin. I want it to breach. <laughs> So you focus on the water again, shaping it into a fish-like form. Well, a mammal. Okay. <laughs> Please. And you do manage to get the shape to leap up from the basin and splash onto the floor of the stone dais. Little better, huh, Phineas? Is the audience impressed, or are they still, like, booing? The crowd is now full of students and faculty debating amongst each other, you know, filling the room with a deep murmuring. The noise builds as you keep using the orbs until finally... Headmaster Jero stands and steps up onto the stage, saying, Well, uh, a nice big hand for Mr. Greybeard here. I think we've seen enough of him for now. Yo, so I don't think he's done you... yet. Is Phineas, is Phineas, are you done? Or is he rushing? This... Phineas looks at Jero and starts rummaging through his stack of scrolls, saying, Well, I didn't want to just cut and run. I had a couple pamphlets here I want to hand out, some explanations. I think you've said more than your fair share already. Yo, Jero, let the man finish. He scowls at you, Ku, and says, Stay out of this, boy. Oh, my, I'm going to look at my dad. Did my dad like that? I don't think he did. (laughs) (laughs) Lono is picking at his beard and his brow is furrowed. So he's not with it either? Lono does not look like he's with it. Okay. I'm just going to keep quiet, I guess. 
Our friend here is overreaching a bit, so I'm granting him the chance to make a graceful exit. Yeah, but what's the problem? I second that. What's the problem here? Peronius then steps up onto the dais, saying, Really, Rickett, we must give Phineas the proper time to air his ideas. Jerome rounds on him, growling, You're mad if you think I'll give this boy a scant another minute to air his puerile ramblings. Phineas says, Something's seriously wrong with you. And Jerome grabs him one-handed by the lapel, causing the remaining headmasters to rise from their seats and approach the dais. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you, boy? Really, did your mother bash your head against the hearth as a child? Whoa! And this is all happening out publicly? Oh, as public as you could possibly make it. Uh, Gil Shaliras and Sixus are muttering to one another and glancing around the crowd, and Mitterin is just standing there, squinting and pinching his brow. Jero says, I knew it was a bad idea allowing you back here. I mean, I knew you missed me, Jero, but I can't imagine why you wouldn't all want me back. Can you not conceive of the disasters you would bring upon us by arming a country of peasants and, and simpletons with a power none of them can even partially grasp? I'll be damned if I understand here and let things get even more chaotic than they already are. And just as Jero says this, almost to punctuate his sentence, the bell tower chimes one o'clock. Could you both give me a perception check? Yeah. Seventeen. Twenty-one. Aww. So perceptive. Behind you, Durzog, you hear and can somewhat see out of the corner of your eye movement as one of the guards stationed at the edge of the Grand Hall near you crosses to the other guard stationed with him. As you turn to look, you also notice that the other pairs of guards around the hall are doing the same thing. And once you finally turn to look at them, you see the first guard stab the other guard through the throat. Holy fuck! Ku, you see this happen and quickly glance up at your father in the balcony, who, as with most of the other students in the hall, are just starting to notice what's happening around them. Behind him, you can see two guards turn and step into the balcony box. A moment later, your attention is drawn further upwards as several leather-clad hooded figures leap from the high-up, unoccupied balcony booths onto the support beams of the tower's crystal centerpiece. They place something and then repel their way down to the ground. Wait, do I know I do I know what the crystal does? Um They're gonna blow it up. It's a bomb! <laughs> the crystal doesn't do anything. It's just a large quartz like crystal of a few hundred cubic feet in size. But right as the hooded men reach the floor, Landing amidst the now panicking students. Oh no. The support struts of the crystal explode in the flames. I knew they were blowing it up. And the entire crystal cracks and begins to fall. Oh my god, this same exact scene it was also in Batman Forever. <laughs> it was? It totally was. And they blew up a big crystal thing and Jim Carrey went, no, no, no! <laughs> Are you kidding me? I haven't seen it. It's, yeah, oh, it's like, it's, it's bananas. Anyway. Oh, damn it. Well, no, it's cool. Uh, oh my God, it's an attack. Are the shards about to like fall and crush like a bunch of people? Yeah. So you have about five to eight seconds to get the hell out of the way. Yeah. So could you give me a deck saving throw? A deck saving throw. All right. Oh no. I don't have to do a deck saving throw, do I? No. But the guard standing behind your seat, pulling his sword from the other guard's neck, has now turned and is looking back at you. 
in a, with like a friendly wave. <laughs> hey, buddy! <laughs> no, he's got this blank murder face on. Uh, that's a five for that deck save, David. Okay, that's fun. What did you want to do? Well, I was going to try and barrel roll out of there, out of the way, like, you know, off the stage into a place, into a backstage area where, are we surrounded by people? Yeah, you're up on the dais, so there are seats and students all around you. So I'm going to barrel roll onto one of the walkways, off the stage onto a walkway. Can I do that? Even though I got a five for that dex saving throw. Well, Ku sees the crystal shatter and goes to barrel roll off of the stage. You get a few feet away from the dais, but you sort of sprawl out on the ground once you land. Uh, you're not sure yet if you're out, out of range. range. Okay, well, I do my best. <laughs> Good luck. So, as you're collecting yourself off the floor, are you just gonna run, or... Yes, I'm gonna... Well, which... Right, once I'm gonna barrel roll, and then do I know where my mall and my ma- Well, I have my mask. I have all my supplies on me. It's in a bag, right? Your bag is up on the balcony. Oh, fuck, that's right. Um, do I know where the mall is? The mall's up there, too. Okay, then I'm gonna go in the direction where that stuff is. Just sprint. So Koo panic dives off the stage and is just picking himself up off the floor to run when everyone else on the dais, Phineas, the headmasters, the other students, look up at the rapidly approaching crystal. Crush to death, aren't they? (laughs) Oh, maybe I should have saved Phineas. In retrospect, I could have done something. (laughs) Moments before the biggest chunks of crystal would have crushed them, Headmaster Mitterin taps his cane on the ground and raises it towards the crystal, catching most of the chunks of rock in a warm, lavender light. There's still a fair amount of debris that most of them have to dodge, however. Headmaster Gil Shaliras receives the worst of it. He gets his leg pinned beneath a large piece of crystal. No! Now, thankfully, the student seating didn't go all the way up to the dais, so they weren't in danger of being crushed. But unfortunately for them, the exits are now being blocked by murderous guardsmen, and there are several hooded figures attacking randomly throughout the crowd. Wait, is that is that bird bastard behind this? What is that bird <laughs> bastard doing? So racist. Glancing up at the balcony, Ku, you can see two guardsmen advancing with their long swords drawn. One guard swings at the first of the monks he can reach, the dwarf, who blocks the swing and provides an opening for the young man to enter the guard's space, disarm him, and drop him to the floor. The other guard moves to attack Lono, but as he swings, Tuku steps in front, knocks the point of the sword away with one finger, and strikes the man in the neck with the other. The man drops to the floor out of sight. Are you still running? Yeah, I want to get my stuff. It's hero time. It's hero time. You can only get about 20 or 30 more feet into the crowd before you're just trapped in a throng of people because everyone is panicking and there's no clear exit out. Oh, I'm stuck uh, in between a bunch of a throng of people. So wait, so how far from the balcony am I? Do I have to like do a considerable amount of like climbing and... You're about 30 to 40 feet from being directly below it. Okay, so, but it's just a wall of people panicking in front of me. And around you. And around me. I mean, unless there's... Can I use my perception to see if there's, like, something close that I can grab onto? Or one of those ropes that the dude swung down from near me? There's actually one right behind you, still hanging. I'm gonna climb it. Make me an athletics check. Uh, 16. So Ku heaves himself up the rope. I want to climb up until I'm a little bit above the platform that I'm getting to, and then I c- can I start swinging? Make another athletics check. Uh, that's a 19. 
And once Ku is sufficiently high enough, he starts kicking forwards and backwards using his strength training to get himself moving. I'm so strong. At the height of the swing, you seem to be getting about two-thirds of the way there. Okay, then I'm going to do like two more big swings and I'm going to fling myself to the to the platform. Okay, athletics. Ooh, daddy. Uh, Ooh, daddy. That's a 22. So Ku does a few big final kicks. And you can feel from the rope that it's rocking slightly, whatever the rope is hooked on. Oh, don't tell me it's coming loose. It probably wasn't intended to be swung on like this. Oh no, jump. Oh no. As you let go, launching yourself forward, the rope goes slack and falls behind you. Oh, just in time. Am I I soaring with enough height and speed that I think I might be land on the platform? You don't reach the platform directly, but you do manage to grab onto a tapestry hanging off of it to stop your fall. Oh, shit. Oh. So I'm like just below it. So is the tapestry tapestry connected to the like the like the front of the of the platform? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to climb my shimmy my shimmy. I'm going to climb climb up the tapestry to the ledge. Another athletics. Ooh, uh, not as good. Uh, that's a 13. So with the tapestry shredding under your weight, you just managed to get your hands onto the balcony edge and begin pulling yourself up before it rips completely. Damn. Lono notices you and comes to help you onto the balcony, saying, What are you doing, Ku? <laughs> Father! I gotta get you out of here! We have to protect the students first. Yes, of course! Is there a, a guard attacking a student right here, right in front of us? No, the two guards that were here are gone, and the monks are just leaving the room and running down the stairs. Your bag of stuff and the mall are there resting on the seats. Oh, yeah. Once Lono has helped you on the solid ground, he turns back to the crowd and, muttering a spell, summons a moat of fire in his hand and begins searching for a target below. Uh, okay, but he's not looking at me anymore, is he? No. Okay, I'm gonna slip over and grab the mason, the the mall, and the in my bag. Okay. And um, I got. I'm gonna try and suss out a private place. Is there? I mean, we're upstairs. Can I keep going upstairs to find like a bathroom or something? Uh. Do I know of an area where people might not be? Well, the hallway itself is clear, and most people are are pretty busy right now. Okay, I'm gonna race out to the hallway. Uh, is anyone out there? No one you can see. Is it a smooth hallway, like no divots in the wall or any other rooms or something like that? Is or is it or are there places I can like you know slink behind? There are some shallow alcoves behind the columns. Okay, then I very quickly this will have to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna spin around and go behind a column and open my bag and start donning my shooting up. I'm gonna shoot up. <laughs> <laughs> don don my crap. Okay, while Koob is doing his wardrobe change, Durzog. You can see several more guards entering the building, and the murdering guardsman, who is just looking at you, walks past your seat and starts moving to attack some of the students who are still cowering behind the seats. The How far is the closest one to me? Easily within 10 feet. Um, that's within my range. It is. I'm going to show him that. Uh, that was poor. Uh, I got a nine. Durzog picks up his cane and swings it at the guard, but misjudges the distance. Like a, like a failure? Yeah, and you wind up just hitting the floor behind him. He notices that. I bet he does. And he turns, slashing your exposed forearm with his short sword. My armor class is ten. So he hits you. <laughs> Aw, oh, man. For five damage. What's next? Uh, well, it didn't work the first time. 
Which means it'll definitely work the second time. <laughs> I'm gonna bash his brains in. Ooh, uh, that would be a 21. Ooh. Uh, 11 damage. After getting his arm cut, Durzog raises his weapon again and crashes it into the man's side, sending him sprawling across the aisle. He staggers to his feet and flings a dagger from his belt at you in one motion, dealing three damage. All right, yeah, I'm gonna use my spirit attack. Uh, summon my cool zombie tree. Oh, I crit. All right, I got a seven. Uh, seven, again. Durzog focuses on the guard getting to his feet. You feel the phantasmal roots spreading out around you, and raising one of them up, you send the corrosive vine darting towards the guard. It pierces through the man's chest, and he stops dead in his tracks before falling to his knees. As his eyes search vainly for the source of the pain, you can see a darkness spreading across his skin as his body starts to crack and collapse <laughs> inward. It's a powerful acid. It seems to be at first, but after another moment his eyes glaze over and with a loud bang, his body violently implodes in on itself until there's nothing left. Oh, interesting. Can you give me a perception check? Perception. Uh, 23. You notice that the others who are fighting the guards and assassins are experiencing a similar phenomenon. Whenever they kill an assassin, the body disappears imploding. Up on the stone dais, you can see Giroux lance a guard up on a balcony with a bolt of lightning before helping Headmaster Giel to his feet. Phineas and Peronius have moved towards you at this point. Phineas is carrying his chest of orbs and what scrolls he could grab, and Midoran and Sixus are dealing with the assassins closest to them. Midoran is levitating one of the assassins like he did with the crystal, and Sixus spears him through the head with a magic dart. What do they look like, like, up close? Up close, you can see some of them are humans, but most of them are orcs. As you take in the chaos around you, you see Phineas weaving his way through the crowd towards you with his chest of orbs held out in front of him to help part the way. All of a sudden, you see a humanoid figure resembling a man made of many sheets of paper appear directly in front of Phineas. It grabs the chest from Phineas, pushing him back onto the floor with it before floating up holding the chest towards a balcony. You track the chest path upwards into the hands of Olm, the man in the white mask, who is perched on the balcony above. He receives the chest, and slipping it under his arm, he quickly dashes out into the hallway. Phineas is bewildered, and he shouts at the man before taking off full sprint past you and up the staircase. Um, I'm gonna follow him, see what's, see what's going on. I don't know what's in that chest. Oh, it's the orbs. Oh, it was all the orbs. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll definitely follow him. Um, during this time, can I cast a Cure Light Wounds on myself? As Jurzog runs behind Phineas, he pulls from his belt pouches a dab of fluid and a dried piece of bone marrow. The material glows in the palm of his hand as he focuses on it, transforming it into a pale, greenish-white light, which he guides over the cut on his arm, sealing it shut. Now, Koo. Yes. You finished getting into your... My superhero outfit? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So once you're finished getting dressed, where do you go first? Downstairs, upstairs, to your father? Yeah. No, uh, I'm gonna... No, I'm gonna go down the... Down the friggin... Down the stairs. I'm gonna go racing down the stairs. Get right into the... Get right into the quagmire. 
Ku finishes strapping on his leather outfit, puts on the mask, flips the hood up, and starts running down the staircase into the fray. As you run down the stairs, Ku, you see a guard running up the stairs towards you. Is he one of the bastard guards? One of the guards that are bastards? Make me an insight check. Oh, man. This is going to be good. Uh, three. You can't tell from sight whether he's one of them or not. Okay. I'm going to move past him, but stay wary. As you pass the guard, he notices you and stopping tells you to halt. Okay. I turn around and look at him. The guard says, identify yourself. I'm not going to say anything. The guard begins to move towards you, drawing his longsword, and says, Remove that mask and identify yourself, or I'll remove it by force. I'm just going to turn around and walk up. We'll go away. Just keep going downstairs. <laughs> so you turn and start running away from the guard down the stairs. He follows you, shouting, until the both of you notice a group of six guards arrive at the bottom of the steps and start climbing. They very clearly have blood on their weapons from whatever unsavory things they've been doing. So they're bastard guards. One of the guardsmen at the bottom of the steps points his sword up to you as two others begin charging up towards you. The guard following behind you sees this and immediately turns and starts running up the staircase. Okay, good. Get rid of him. I'm gonna go into my rage and I'm gonna get fucking smacking. <laughs> get smacking. How many how many guards are down there with bloody swords? There are four at the bottom of the steps and two closing the distance between you right now. I'm gonna take a step down and uh, and start you know, take a step down to the close one and start swinging away. Face full of maul. Ku adopts a fighting stance, tensing himself and sending a slight shiver of energy off of his muscles. His eyes blaze and he... I assume you're using the maul to attack. I'm. You bet your ass I'm using the maul. He pulls out his volcanic maul and stepping down to meet his attackers, swings it towards his foe. Make that attack roll. My. Oh, man. That's going to be a. That's a nine. Ku swings towards the guard coming at him on the left, but misses, causing the guard to step backwards slightly to avoid him. The other guard on his right swings towards you, Ku. What is your armor class? 15. But he misses you as well. Both guards are now within attacking range of you. I'm going to swing again. Okay, that's more like it. Uh, that's a... That's a... That's a 23. That'll definitely hit. Uh, 11... 13 damage. Ku steps forward using some of the momentum from his first swing to carry his maul around the body in a turn and nail the first guard right across the face, sending him crashing against the stair railing and leaving a big dent in his helmet. The other guard swings horizontally towards you, but you manage to bring the handle of your maul up between you and block the attack. I'm going to swing at him. Clock him in the head. Uh, that's a 16. Okay, and damage? <laughs> is 14. After blocking the guard's attack, you raise your maul and strike the man in the neck with the hilt of your weapon, sending him falling down the stairs a few steps. Fuck you! <laughs> The first guard picks himself up off the railing and tries to swing at you, but is clearly still dizzy from the blow to his head and misses, hitting the steps. Learn aim, jackass. <laughs> I'm clocking him with a head with a domer, just a fucking domer. Natty ass 20. So. Holy shit. He's, he's, he's dying. He's going to die. So here we go. Uh, it's double the dice amount. Is that right? Right. 
Honestly, I don't think he could survive this. Like, roll it anyway, but I think he's going down even at, like, minimum damage. Uh, 16. Okay, so Ku dodges the guard's attack with little effort, and seeing as how you have the high ground, Anakin, you <laughs> line your maul up in a perfect upward swing that catches him square on the chin. There's a horrible crunching sound, and the first guard goes flying upwards and backwards, crashing into the second guard, and sending the both of them tumbling most of the way down the stairs where they lie still. Um, am I intimidating the rest of them? Can I roll an intimidation? Roll an intimidation. Uh, 12. The four guards who have been watching from the bottom of the steps begin advancing towards you. One of them does seem a little hesitant and hangs back a little bit, but the other three are still stone-faced and they don't break their stride. Do you want to try and go through them, or...? Um... Yeah. I'm gonna go through them. In fact, I'm gonna... Next thing... How far are they from me? Like 20 feet or something like that? About 20 feet down. Uh, can you use a hand axe as a ranged weapon? Yeah. All right, I'm gonna whip out. I'm gonna whip out a hand axe and chuck it at one of them. Then that's a my fuck. That's an 18. And damage? Plus nine. Nine damage. Oh wait, no, not not nine damage. Um, seven because that's not rage. That's not a melee attack. I thought it was. Is isn't that a ranged attack? Wouldn't my my rage not be a thing? Um, hold on one second. Uh, please excuse the momentary interruption while our GM and players confer with the gods of creation. Thank you for your patience. And now, back to our story. Okay, after checking some sources, as written in the rules, your rage doesn't add to it, but some people have house-ruled that it does, and I'm also going to house-rule that it does add to it. The way I would think of it is, like, it doesn't add, when you think of ranged attacks like a bow, it wouldn't help you there, because that's a dexterity thing, but a throw, a throw is a strength modifier. Let me get real mad and I'll shoot this bow better. Yeah. All right, let's go. Let's call it nine. Let's call it nine. So. So I chuck a nine. Ku pulls out one of his hand axes and hurls it down at the guards. It lodges itself into the body armor of one of the guards who stumbles and has to catch himself on the steps. As he picks himself back up, the other three guards close in on you and attack. Two with long swords and one with a spear. Or, no, not a spear. Uh... <laughs> A mace. How did I confuse those two? As far as weaponry goes, almost opposites. <laughs> One guard misses his attack, but the other two get some hits in, dealing 14 damage. Holy fuck. Uh, I don't, I don't have a lot of hit points. Okay, well, I have resistance. True, so it'll be... Seven. Yeah. Damn. Ku, in his rage, defends himself against the onslaught, and while he isn't gravely injured, he does take some cuts to the arm and blows to the shoulder. It's your turn again, Ku. Uh, how many is on me? Like, three? Three. Hmm. But they're- I still have the high ground? Yeah. Alright, then... I'm gonna... I'm gonna disengage. I'm gonna run away. I don't think I could take him. So you take the end of your maul, and you quickly jab the closest guard in the face with it to distract him before turning and running up the steps. Do you want to head to the next floor, or...? Sh well, let's head up to where my pop is, where dad is. Ku races up the steps and looks into the balcony seat where 
you can see the afterglow of Lono launching a stream of fire down on some enemy below. He turns to look at you after he's done. Uh, I'm gonna... I just wanted to make sure that he was okay, so... Um, I'm gonna hide the- try and inconspicuously hide them all behind my back, and then back out of the room. <laughs> uh, that'll be pretty difficult. Do you want to give me a sleight of hand check? Sleight of hand. Let's do a sleight of hand. Oh, dear god. That is a nat one. <laughs> so, it is indeed very difficult to hide a two-handed maul behind your back, because he definitely sees you holding it. You're holding it like sideways. I'm. Oh, I'm just. I'm just gonna run away. I'm just gonna get out of there. Are I. Um. Are there any like crates, chairs, anything heavy nearby, out here in the hall, or maybe in the room with Pop? Not really. Everything's made of stone and fused into the wall usually, and the guards are reaching the top of the steps now. Okay. Damn it. Never mind. I'm. Uh. I'm gonna. I'm gonna wave them. I'm be like you know make it so that they can see me, and then I'm gonna go back in the into the room with Pop. Lure them in here. They follow right after and fan out to attempt to surround you. I assume you've put your back to Lono. I tap him on the sho- I tap him on the shoulder, but remaining silent, and I point gesture at the doorway. Lono looks at you, and then sees the guards and begins quickly weaving a spell. And just before the guards reach striking range, he releases it, causing the section of stone balcony you're both on to rise high up into the air. Oh damn! He raises the chunk up to an empty fourth-story balcony before roughly setting it down. Staggering off it, he says, Well, that was close. Uh, I don't say anything, but now we're out of range. So what's going on downstairs? What's Is anything developed downstairs? Looking downstairs, you can see that some of the entrances have been cleared of guards, allowing for students to escape. There are still small pockets of students and faculty huddling in areas around rubble, but they seem to be steadily gaining ground on the assassins. Jero and Midran especially are able to dispatch many of the guards while shielding the weaker students from attack. Okay, are there any big bad guys? Are there any of the terrorists are looking particularly fiendish, like in uh, terms of... Uh, like in terms of leadership, is there someone who I might suss out being like, this is someone bad in charge? From what you can tell, there isn't anyone in charge. They're all in the same sorts of armor with the same iron weapons. All right. Um, I mean, there is just some bastards downstairs terrorizing people, right? Yeah, but they're a fair ways away. away. Yeah. And Lono leans himself against the railing and says... I'm going to need to rest a while. He is an old man, after all. Well, the old men downstairs are doing fine. Some fine old men. Mm. I'm gonna... Okay, is there a rope nearby? Not that you can see. Just some short tapestries and the door that leads out to the fourth floor. Which seems pretty abandoned at this point. Okay, then I'm gonna... Is my father sitting down, like, winded and shit? Yeah. Alright, I'm gonna pick him up, sling him on my back... And I'm going to race him, race out of the room. As you go to pick him up, he says, No, no, I'll be fine. You go. <sighs> I, I want him to be safe. I, I'm taking him out of there. I'm going to pick him up anyway. Whoa! <laughs> I'm going to, and I'm going to run out of the room. Where are you headed? I'm headed downstairs. I just want to get him out of here. Koo heads out of the balcony door and begins marching downstairs. As you, Dursog, and Phineas are chasing Ulm upstairs. It's hard to keep him in sight, as he's incredibly fast, even while carrying the chest. 
Suddenly, Ku sees a man charging up the stairs at him in a white mask, carrying a small chest. Is the chest a very familiar looking chest? It's the chest that Phineas was holding his orbs in. Oh, uh, I want to stop that man. Stop that man. I'm going to put, I'm going to put my father down gently. Verbally. And verbally put him down (laughs) gently like you're, you're old. (laughs) (laughs) You're, you're way past your prime. I'm just going to whip out the maul and I'm just going to kind of get in, get in the guy's way. Do you say anything to him as he approaches? I don't say shit. Setting his father on the steps, Ku takes out the maul and tries to block the man in the mask from getting past him on the steps. The man doesn't slow down. In fact, he speeds up, and with a great leap, he flips up over you. Oh my god! And then lands on the steps above and continues running. Fucking, that's cool. He just parkoured right over me. Just like, well, I did not expect that. I was not expecting that. Okay, I'll tell you what I'm gonna fucking do. As he heads up the stairs, Phineas and Durzog appear at the bottom, and Phineas asks, where'd he go? I'm gonna point, well, is the guy, did he like race off like he's out of sight? Not for you, but he's getting close to a full floor's distance ahead of Phineas and Durzog. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. You dig? What is the, what is, what are the stairs made of? Is it made of rock? Is it made of earth? It's made of a hard, smooth stone like marble. Can I use my control elements and make the staircase difficult terrain? Oh no! I don't want to do that because fucking everyone will know who I am then. No, for- forget it. I'm not- I'm gonna- Well, do they know? That has- uh, have the people that know me, do they know that- Because I don't want them to know that I'm the elemental because there's only one elemental in town. True. There are also lots of wizards in town who could do the same thing. Okay, then I'm just gonna do it. I'm going to- I'm gonna make the ground difficult terrain. So Ku points toward the masked man, and focusing his elemental energy, I'm assuming at his feet. Yeah, I'm- I'm gonna- yes, right in front of his feet. Like, I'm gonna anticipate his next step. Yeah, you focus on that spot, and the ground there hisses and cracks slightly, so that when he steps there, his right foot cracks the floor and causes him to fall though he quickly sticks out his left arm and leg to catch himself in a kind of sideways split. Fuck, he's so agile. (laughs) Olm gets up and continues running, but this has allowed Phineas and Durzog to close much of the distance between them. Okay, how far is he from me? Are you following after them? I've kept running with them. I'm trying to, like, close the distance. He's now about 20 feet from Durzog and Phineas and about 30 feet from you. Okay, I I am just in range where I'm gonna throw a hand axe at him. Okay. Let's do it. So that's that's a 23 to hit. And roll damage. 12. Ku charges after the group, and once he has a clean shot, he hurls his other hand axe up the stairs at the man. Moments before it hits, the man shoots out his hand and catches it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, he catches it by the blade. It chunks deep into his hand, drawing blood, and he quickly drops it as he runs. Oh, fuck. Okay. Once he reaches the sixth floor, he peels off from the stairway and starts heading along the outer walkway of the tower. All right, I'm going to sprint, dash after him, and pick up my hand axe on the way. Ku snatches the axe off of the steps where the man dropped it and follows Durzog and Phineas after the man, who turns off of the outer walkway onto one of the elevated walkways that stretch from the central tower to the guard towers. You take the corner hard, Ku, and start to pass Phineas and Durzog as the three of you notice Olm slow to a stop next to three other figures. Your Donsath, along with Tira and Lorinia, are standing there near the middle of the walkway. 
and Ohm, stopping his run, promptly hands the chest he's carrying over to the blue-robed orc. Durzog, are you going to approach them, or...? I guess so, yeah, within, like, range to interact. Durzog, you and Phineas come to a stop about 20 or so feet from them. Ku, are you going to stop with them, or...? I'm going to keep running at them. The one who had the chest. Okay. Can you make me a perception check? Uh, oh, that's a natty 20. Nice. So, Ku, as you continue your charge towards Ohm, you see him turn slightly towards you. And just as you get within about 10 feet of him, you notice a strange ripple in the air in front of you moments before a powerful force pushes you backwards several feet. Durzog, you can see the man made from paper from before appear from Ulm and strike Ku, sending him flying backwards, and then continue to linger in the air between your two groups. So I don't know what knocked me back. Correct. I'm going to swing blindly in front of me. <laughs> okay. H- how many times do you want to try that? Uh, let's go two. 17,000. Yeah. Let's just do two, like one to the left and right. Okay, make two attack rolls. Uh, the first one is a 14 to hit, and the second one is a 20 to hit. Bewildered, Ku swings his maul wildly back and forth. And Durzog, you can see that Ku's second swing passes right through the paper man as if he wasn't even there. This will not work. Yardonsath raises his eyebrows at Ku and says, So much fury, yet you are clearly wanting when it comes to my subordinates. He then hands the chest to Lorinia, who opens it for him. He picks up an orb and, turning it over in the light, says, Very fine work indeed. I am genuinely impressed, Mr. Greybeard. These will do nicely. Yardonsath then places the orb back in the chest and, tracing his fingers over the orbs, says, You should be very proud. Your work will serve as the keystone for a new age in your chow. Phineas says, I'm sorry. I'm known to be a bit slow. Would you mind explaining what the hell you're going on about? Yardonsath closes the chest softly, locks it, and turns to him, saying, I'm talking about amelioration, advancement. Pulling my backwards country, and yours by extension, up into a new age of prosperity. I'm gonna call bullshit, and I'm gonna get my hand axe out, and I'm gonna throw it at his fucking face. 16. So, Ku shouts bullshit and just throws an axe at him. As it passes by the paper man, it darts out its hand and with a swift cutting motion, splits the hand axe in two mid-flight. You, he broke my hand axe. You watch your hand axe split in midair right in front of you. In midair? Yeah. Yardonsath winces as the pieces go flying past him, but he doesn't move. I guess I'll just do nothing. I guess I'll just wait here. Yeah, I, I, I'll relay what I'm seeing with the origami man. Apparent, uh, I assume by now I can figure out no one else seems to be able to see him. Yardonsath scoffs at you <laughs> and walks over to peer out the edge of the walkway, saying, I don't know what I should have expected from an Astronian, but how do you feel about all this, Durzog? You have been characteristically quiet. Now, the reason I was um, deal- like working with him directly in the first place... Um, if you could remind me. (laughs) He hired you, along with a few other orcs and ogres, to serve as advisors. In your case, it was 
to advise him on the mechanics of the spirit and meditation and, and how that works, so to speak. That's right. So he's my boss at the moment. Um, uh, hold on. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, Derzog has seen a lot very quickly. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. What, what is those, uh, those assassins in the crowd? Those were his men, your men, my handiwork. Yes. They are automatons of some sort. Oh no. Living men like you and me killing, uh, civilians. Unfortunately. Yes. Uh, this and then that that guy was talking about his uh his his buddy coming back from vacation. Nah, none of that. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Not interested. <laughs> no, I I've I've learned enough. No way. I'm out. <laughs> Is he gonna? Uh, what what are you doing to control these uh these people? What kind of work? Yardonsath smiles and says. Regrettably, I don't have the time to answer that question in full. And he turns and walks back from the window to the center of the walkway. But I can say that they were more than willing to consent to it. I surmise that you are looking to resign from your position with me? This does not seem natural. I suppose not. Well, what a shame. He gives you a small bow, and looking up at you, says... I hope you will give my best to your wife and child. Then he nods to Tira, who steps forward in front of him. She swings her hands out in a lemniscate shape, ending with her hands at her center, palms pressed together, right hand on top. As she does, Durzog can see a Byzantium torso appear behind her and trace the same shape she made with its own six-fingered hands. The figure then grasps the dark orb at the base of its torso, and as Tira twists and flips her hands over, placing her left hand on top, the torso also flips its hands, causing the orb to grow and quickly engulf the area in front of you three in opaque darkness. Is it dark through my dark vision? Yes. Where's the paper man? Well, I can't see him. I'm asking Ogre. Yeah, do I still see him? You can't see if he's moved from where he was within the darkness. All right, I'm going to pick a point somewhere in the sphere on the on the ground again and I'm going to turn that to transmute that to lava. Like, you know, I'm going to pick what I think might be the center of the sphere or where they were standing and then just lava the floor. It's a neat trick. You reach out and as you start to melt the floor, it feels far closer than you'd expect it to be. So, can I can I not reach that far? Well, you're not exactly stopped by anything. You can tell you're melting earth. It's just that it feels closer than you were expecting. And moments later, when the darkness disappears, you can see this was because you were melting a massive stone that has appeared in the space above the walkway where there once was just air. This sudden appearance of stone quickly drops down below as the stone walkway that was beneath has disappeared. They, they gave us the slip. When you lean over the edge to watch it fall, you see it crash into a tent far below. Mm-hmm. And in front of the tent... Surrounded by panicked civilians, you can see two covered carts. Yardonsath, Tira, and Lorinia are entering one cart on the right, while Ohm and another Yardonsath are entering the other cart on the left. Once they're boarded, both carts take off, heading in different directions through the crowd. This is this is right below, down in, down in this... Yeah, about 200, 300 feet down. Oh, 200 or 300 feet down? I was going <laughs> to jump down. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't do that. 
Phineas says, Well, anyone got any bright ideas as to what's going on here? I don't know, but I don't like it. Phineas watches the cart start to move, and he quickly glances around, muttering to himself before he takes out his quill, and putting his hand on your back, Ku, starts scribbling on it. Uh, free tattoo. What did you write on my back? He asks you, would you mind helping me catch those guys? Yeah, should I call HR? <laughs> he finishes scribbling and says, Ku, I need your help. All I need is a yes. I nod, and then I point to my back with my thumb. Phineas says, well, that's close enough. Thank you. And then kicks you square in the back right off the ledge. Down into the trap? Down the hole? Yeah. Fuck! Fuck! <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> and then Phineas turns to Durzog and beckons to him as he falls backwards off of the ledge. So, Ku, you're falling. At terminal velocity. And right after you start to fall you feel a surge of magical energy from the spot where Phineas was riding on your back, and it envelops you and then flies upwards, passing through Phineas and then surrounding you, Durzog. And unlike Ku, you could see what Phineas had written on his back. It was a dick, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a big portrait of dick butt. <laughs> no, it was the arcane words for the Featherfall spell. That makes sense. So you understand what Phineas is doing. Yeah, down I go. The three of you land safely, if not clumsily, as the magic force cushions your fall. And once you pick yourself up, Ku, Phineas runs past you in one direction and shouts for you to follow the other cart. Alright, I'm gonna I'm gonna sprint after that other cart. And Durzog? I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna follow the same. I, I mean, yeah, I'm gonna i I'm gonna go with uh with with uh Ku. You two turn and run to the left, through the crowd, after one cart while Phineas takes after the other one, sprinting as fast as he can through the throngs of panicking festival-goers. Well, friends, we must leave our story there for now. Can Ku, Durzog, and Phineas catch your Donsath and retrieve the orbs? Or will the emissary of Yordshal escape with his prize? Find out next time when we return to another tale. Thank you to Thomas Campbell and Sebastian DeVoe for being here today. This episode and others like it can be found by using your scrying orb to locate the magical realms of YouTube, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can also send us messages at anothertalepodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook at Another Tale Podcast and Twitter at Another Tale Pod for updates on episode releases. And lastly, thank you for listening to this episode of another tale of guilt and desertion. Now go out and enjoy your own adventure.
We're gonna get that cart. We gotta get that cart. We were left on a severe cliffhanger. I have, uh... Are those pills? Is spells. that what I heard? Is someone just downing pills? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting my dice away, jeez.